0: Well, it's been a while since I have uh, done this whole thing, so uh, I, I play the keyboard. That's my comfort zone, so if you see me start to play the podium here, um, you'll know it's just a, a force of habit. Uh, it was great to have the youth band uh, fill in this morning. Let's give it up for them one more time. That's, uh, that's Matthew Sanchez and, and the youth band. We're grateful for them. Hey, let's stand uh, this morning and as we read God's Word together. Uh, I'm going to warn you, this is a bit of a longer passage, but I, I think we can hang in there and, and follow along together, okay? This is uh, 10 verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul. In verse 1, he says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Verse 4, he was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do, do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, this is the last section, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Everybody say, strong, strong. All right, Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. It's so good to gather as the saints in your name. Uh, God, we pray that you would open up uh, our spiritual ears to hear what you have to say to us, that we wouldn't just hear information that goes into our minds, but that we would sense what you are speaking to us personally, to what you are speaking to us through this word um, to our church body as well. And God, we ask for this In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to make this this statement off off the bat here this morning, and I I think you'll agree with this, that uh, our culture and and even just humanity in general, we have a fascination with strength and with being strong. And uh, I'm no exception to this. For for me personally, when I think of uh, strength and being strong, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is an annual competition that actually was held a few months ago in South Carolina. It was the 45th annual competition of uh, the World's Strongest Man. Has anybody ever heard of that competition before? Has anybody watched like ESPN? If you watch ESPN, there's like reruns all the time of this World's Strongest Man. For those unfamiliar with this, uh, this is an event in which uh, strong men—they're called strongmen. From all over the world, compete over a period of days in a number of grueling events, such as, and I have some pictures here. I just gotta gotta show you, um, such as the Atlas Stones. Okay, these are giant rock spheres that weigh well over 300 pounds, and that guy in that picture is six foot nine, 430 pounds. So, if you can imagine, he's he's having a hard time carrying that rock. Um, That's a very difficult task. Another event is called the giant log lift. Uh, These logs are pressed overhead, and they're well over 800-pound logs. Uh, Another event is called the vehicle pull. You've got a harness, and you've got a rope, and you are pulling uh, airplanes. That guy's name is uh, Eddie Hall. He's a one-time winner. Um, You can tell I know something about this competition. (laughs) Um, So the the winner of this event, the winner of this event for that year is called the strongest man in the world. Think about being able to tell somebody, "I'm literally, I'm the strongest man on earth." I think that's pretty, uh, uh, pretty cool thing. But but this event has a huge global following. Why? It's because we have this fascination with, with strength, uh, but not just physical strength. We're enamored with with strong individuals, strong-minded people like uh, CEOs and and political leaders. We follow podcasters and influencers who are uh, strong at communication. And we listen intently to the stories of people who have overcome incredible odds to reveal great inward strength. And not just that, but but as humans, we feel this need to project strength as well. We want to project this aura of strength at one time or another. And we've all been there. We're, we've been going through something, we're hurting, we're suffering, but then we come to a group like this in public and we, we feel this need all of a sudden to just act like everything's put together, everything's good, right? We just have this need to project strength as well. And I'm not saying that um, this, this fascination with strength, this, this inclination to, to be strong, I'm not saying it's a bad thing uh, necessarily, but I, I do want to make this statement this morning that our fascination with strength can be an impediment when it comes to experiencing the life to which God has called us. In the passage that we just read, the Apostle Paul says that in order for us to experience the grace of God, God's strength, God's power working through us, we have to lay down and sacrifice this, this desire that we feel uh, to be strong and to project Strength. Paul says that we have to embrace and be comfortable with our weaknesses. So, if you're here today, or you're watching online, and maybe you feel like you are at the end of your rope, maybe you feel um, burdened or weary in your in your Christian journey. Maybe the the prayer of your heart recently has been, "God, I just I can't do this that much longer." We're, we're all going to receive something from this word, but that. This message this morning is especially for, for you. Well, let's look at, at our passage one more time. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And I invite you, if you've got a Bible with you, to pull that out or a Bible app. I would love for you to follow along because we're going to kind of jump uh, from verse to verse here. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. Now, this is, of course, the famous thorn-in-the-flesh passage. Have you guys ever thought about thorn in the flesh, you read about that or thought what that might be. Uh, When we're looking at at these verses, the question almost always comes up, what is Paul's thorn in the flesh? We're always wondering about that. We will talk about that. We will discuss that. Uh, But spoiler, we don't know what it is. Okay, we don't know what it is. But that's a good thing that we don't know. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, But first, let's look at why. Let's look at the question why. Why did Paul receive this thorn in the first place? And for that, we have to look at 2 Corinthians 10 and 11, the previous chapters for context. So if you want to even scroll up on your Bible app to look at those chapters, that'd be great. In these chapters, we find that Paul is greatly concerned because false teachers who claim to have the backing of Jesus' disciples in Jerusalem, have infiltrated the Corinthian church, and they were acting to undermine and destroy Paul's hard work there and his credibility as a leader. And unfortunately, because of their aggressive style, because of their smooth talk, because of their rhetorical skills and their, their great boasting about their credentials, a good portion of the Corinthian believers had fallen prey to these these false teachers. So Paul is writing from afar, and he's been left in this uncomfortable and awkward position of having to defend his apostolic authority to the Corinthians. And so he's basically saying in these chapters, okay, I see that you're persuaded by fancy leaders who, who boast and brag about their credentials, well, if that's the case, even though this is foolish to do, I will also do some bragging. So it's, it's either Paul loses these church members that he's worked so hard for, or he engages in bragging uh, and defends his apostolic authority. So in chapter 11, Paul says, okay, these leaders that you're So impressed by, they boast about their their lineage, the fact that they're Hebrews and and Israelites. So am I. Uh, They boast about how great of of servants of Christ they are. Well, I am more. In fact, I've worked much harder than they have. And Paul proceeds to list uh, the many persecutions that he's endured for the cause of the gospel. And this is fascinating. So these false teachers... Uh, apparently as part of their credentials, they thought it was important to, to explain how many spiritual experiences they had. So it, it was like, hey, you should listen to me because I, I've seen these visions and I've had these dreams and they like to brag about their experiences. And the Corinthians were, uh, were, were impressed by that. Well, Paul needs to do the same thing. So in the opening verses of chapter 12, which we read earlier, Paul reluctantly, and this is so fascinating, he breaks a 14-year silence about a spectacular vision that he received in order to prove that he would not be outmatched by his rivals, even in the area of spiritual encounters. And so in verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, I know a man in Christ. He's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. So the jaws of the Corinthians must have just dropped at this point because Paul Paul is bringing out the big guns here. So Paul, Paul is saying, OK, you want to talk about spiritual experiences? I've got one for you. All right. And the Corinthians know and Paul knows this spiritual experience cannot be topped. Paul says that the location of his vision was the third heaven, which, according to Jewish thought, was the hidden paradise or eternal dwelling of the righteous. And evidently, Paul's rapture into heaven was so sudden and so extraordinary that he lost all sense of physical orientation. And he didn't even know whether he was in the body or whether he was out of the body I mean incredible incredible experience. now as, as modern day readers and I'm sure the, the it was the same case for the Corinthians as well, we want to know if Paul was caught up into heaven, we want to know what did he see right? Uh, what did he hear? what did he hear? But Paul states explicitly that he's not permitted to share That information. So apparently this experience was for his own benefit, and it was probably to prepare him for this intense uh, and special calling that he had to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to to face many difficult persecutions, and of course to write uh, the majority of the New Testament. So if Paul wasn't going to talk about this experience, then why did he bring it up in the first place? Again, He's trying to establish himself as credible in the eyes of those who had begun to doubt his authority because these Corinthians were so impressed by uh, by spiritual experiences. But Paul, and we see this all throughout these chapters, Paul would much rather place the focus on his weaknesses. Because unlike the false teachers at Corinth, Paul felt that what established his apostolic authority the most was not his achievements and experiences, although he had ample, but his weaknesses. Why? Because his weaknesses brought attention to the fact that it was Christ, Christ's presence, Christ's favor, Christ's strength and his power that was working in Paul, that God was with him. In fact, Paul says that he couldn't have become prideful about this amazing spiritual experience, if, even if he wanted to. I mean, think about it. If, if, if one of us had had an experience where we were caught up, raptured into heaven, and we saw incredible things and heard incredible things, and all of a sudden we came back down to earth again, Um, I I just think in our humanity, we would think, uh, be be pretty tempted uh, to think that we're superior to those who are around us, right? But Paul says God wouldn't let him feel this way. Uh, Verse 7 of chapter 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. A thorn in the flesh, uh, as Paul puts it, was given to him to prevent him from becoming proud. Have you ever considered that maybe God is allowing a recurring difficulty to exist in your life? Because he wants you to, he wants to teach you to rely on him and not on yourself. Well, we'll talk more about that later. Now, Let's let's discuss what this thorn is, or what it might be. Okay, now some of you might get a little bored with this discussion, but I think I think a good number of you will kind of be interested. This is good food for thought. It's just it's just interesting to talk about. Um, what is Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, first off, don't let the thorn, the word thorn confuse you. Okay, that thorn in the flesh—that's a metaphor. If if you're like me, uh, I think of you know be, being barefoot and, uh, you know, stepping on a thistle or something, and then, oh, there's a thorn, and it hurts a little bit, and I just pluck it out and throw it away. Um, That's not what Paul is talking about here, okay? This is a big deal to Paul. In fact, in classical Greek, the word here used for thorn uh, meant stake, S-T-A-K-E. And it was used for, it's kind of graphic, and used for impaling and torturing uh, criminals. Paul equates this thorn with, with the messenger of Satan. And he says that it's tormenting him. This is no small thing. It's tormenting him. And he doesn't just ask God to take it away. He pleads with God to take it away. And he does so three times. Uh, so th- this is something very serious uh, for Paul. And it might even be uh, something recurring, something that could be a life or death issue for him. So, uh, what is it? What is it? We're going to put these theories on, on the screen. Uh, we'll call these uh, thorn theories, okay, or thorny theories. Um, it's just just fun to, to look at and talk about. Um, first theory proposed is that Paul's thorn is opposition or persecution. Uh, this was proposed by Luther. And Paul does talk about persecution that he faced in this letter. Uh, It might be uh, persecution. Uh, Calvin proposed that Paul's thorn refers to his own spiritual temptations. Uh, This is a popular idea that Paul had eye trouble. Uh, He had problems with with his vision. And and the the theory is that uh, when Paul was struck with blindness in Acts 9. And this is a fact. Paul was struck with blindness in Acts 9 as a result of that uh, Damascus Road encounter. And the idea is that uh, he must have never recovered fully from that uh, that blindness. And there's also a reference in Galatians uh, where Paul says that the believers there would have plucked out their eyes for him. And so the idea is, why would they have done that? Maybe they were trying to help him because they knew that uh, they, they wanted to help him in any way possible because maybe he had some problems with, with vision. Uh, another uh, uh, theory proposed is a speech problem. And this one is interesting because Paul admits to not being a very good speaker. Um, in fact, one of, the, one of the criticisms against Paul by these false teachers was that he, he wasn't a very impressive uh, person. Now, of, of course, Paul was an intellect. Paul was very knowledgeable uh, but these these false teachers would say about Paul, he's very impressive in his letters, but then when you see him in person, it's nothing to, to write home about. Is it because he had a speech problem, maybe? Um, and then the most popular theory is a recurrent physical malady. Uh, was it ep- epilepsy? Was it a fever? Uh, was, it, was it headaches? Um, that's the most popular idea. Now, I just want to take a, a quick little poll. okay. So you see these theories on the screen. We've got one, two, three, four, five, okay? These are the most popular. Um, After I count to three, I just want you to say which number you think it is, okay? One, two, three, or four, or five. And if you don't think it's any of them, say other, okay? After I count to three. Here we go, ready? One, two, three. Can I get a four? Can I get a three? Hey, hey. okay, no, that's uh, interesting. All right, see, I... I knew it. We all have a a theory here. Now, here's the correct answer. No, I'm I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, Now, it's important that we don't get caught in the weeds with this thorn. Catch that? Caught in the weeds with this thorn? Okay. Um, No, but seriously, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we don't know why or don't know what Paul's thorn is, and I will tell you why. Because if Paul had said that his thorn was a physical sickness, uh, we might think my struggle with anxiety doesn't apply to this passage. If Paul had said his thorn was persecution for his faith, we might think my my disability doesn't apply to this passage. You see what I mean? Uh, It's a good thing that Paul left this blank so that we can insert our own difficulty our own weakness into this passage and be encouraged by what the Lord says to Paul. What does the Lord say to Paul? Paul has this thorn in the flesh. He prays, he pleads three times for God to take it away. God says in verse nine, in fact, it's probably Jesus himself speaking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in Weakness. And Paul heard these words years and years prior, but he never forgot them. The Lord says to him that his grace, that unmerited help for the undeserving with no thought of recompense, that unmerited help for the undeserving with no thought of recompense, that grace would sustain Paul in his suffering, and that the Lord's power would be fully realized in Paul's weakness. And so when Paul realizes this, in verse 9, his attitude totally changes. And he says, therefore, I will boast. Not in his strengths, because that was what the false teachers were doing. They were boasting in all their uh, credentials. But Paul says the true sign of an apostle is I will boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power would rest on me. And then in verse 10, he takes it a step further. Not only will he brag about his weaknesses to these these Corinthians, but he will delight in them. He's going to take joy in them. He's going to be happy about being weak. Why? He's going to be happy about his insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul found great comfort in this truth, that God and his strength would work through His weaknesses. And I know that this, um, this passage provides great comfort for us as well. Anybody have weaknesses? Anybody have two weaknesses? Anybody have less than five weaknesses? No <laughs> just We've all got weaknesses, right? And th- this passage is great encouragement. I just want to speak practically for the next few moments. Um how is it how is it that we can experience like Paul uh, God's grace and God's strength working through us what do we have to do uh, to experience God's strength uh, number 1 what can we learn from Paul here we need to check our egos at the door if we're going to experience God's grace working in our weaknesses James 4:6 God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mentioned at the outset that we all have this fascination with strength. We all have this desire to be strong and to be perceived by others uh, as strong. But we have to put these desires and inclinations on the altar, we have to sacrifice them if we're going to experience God's strength and grace working through our lives. If you've got a particular weakness, and your attitude is "I will fix it myself," if that if that's the attitude, simply put, you will not experience God's grace working in your life. I, I think about when I was a kid, um, five, six, seven years old. I, I was a very egotistical boy. And I, I can say that you, you, might, you might think all boys are that way. Well, I had a brother who was two years younger than me. And to this day, I think he was some kind of alien because he, the guy had no ego. Um, he would just naturally share his toys. He was naturally caring. He was naturally non-competitive. He never got in trouble. I hardly ever saw him complain and cry. It was always me, you know, getting in trouble. Uh, I was the egotistical one. And uh, I think about this toy that I played with. Uh, this is an 80s toy. Um, anybody? Uh, light bright? Anybody? Ring a bell? Light bright? OK. So you got these small little pegs, and you put them in a, a hole. And it makes this uh, design once you light it up. And you're looking at the box, because the box has the template uh, for you to make this design. And I would, I'd be making this design. And I'd go to my, my parents and say, hey, I, I did it. And, and they would say to me, eh. Pretty close, Nick. Pretty close. Oh, man. I hated those words. So I'd, I'd go back, and I'd, I'd put a few more pegs in there, and I'd go back, and I did it. I, I made the design. Almost. You almost did it. Just drove me crazy. But I had to do it myself. Now, did I did I create something? Yes, I, I, I created something. But it was this patchwork job. It, it didn't look like the original picture on the box. Um, it would have been a lot better if I had asked my parents for help, right? And it's the same thing with the Lord. Can we can we try and fix our own problems? Oh. Uh, no, that is absolutely right. I mean, we can try. We we might if we've got a recurring weakness or difficulty, we might do a patchwork job, but it would be so much better if we ask for the Lord's help. I, I think about those who struggle with addictions. I, I think an addiction is the ultimate example of a thorn in the flesh, a difficulty that um, someone just struggles to overcome. And when you think about addiction recovery programs, what what is the first step in any recovery program? Uh, Something along the lines of, I have a problem, and I am powerless to overcome it. If somebody can concede that, they're on their way to, um, to recovery. And it's the same thing in the Christian life. If we want to experience God's grace and God's power working through us in our weaknesses, we have to be able to say, God, I can't do this. And by the way, how do you know if you're being humble before God? How do you know if you're laying your ego down at the altar before God? If you can be humble before others. If you can concede your problems and admit your problems before people, there's a good chance that you're being humbled before God as well that's when you can experience God's grace working through your life number 2 number 2 embrace your weaknesses as an opportunity for God's power to be displayed in your life and this is that change of mindset this is that glass half full uh, approach Paul previously was wallowing in his weakness. He was very discouraged by it. And the same can be true for us. We can can get so down in the dumps and depressed about our weaknesses, about our difficulties. But have you ever thought about viewing them as an opportunity for God to display His power and His strength in your life so that He can be glorified and that others can be drawn to Him through you? I think about my own life. Uh, when I first got a hold of this passage, uh, I was a high schooler. I was I was I was 14 years old. I was raised in a Christian family. I had, had the privilege of being raised in a Christian family. I prayed the prayed a prayer to receive Christ when I was uh, nine uh, years old. When I was 14, I felt uh, for the first time that I was had a calling into uh, vocational uh, ministry. And from that point on, I was I was pursuing. Uh, ministry, but around that time, um, 14 years old, freshman in high school, I, I remember being in a classroom. I can see it to this day. I, I was in a classroom, and I was waiting for my name to be called because we were we were giving speeches. We were, we were presenting a, a project. It was actually it was math class. And as a student, you you make presentations and speeches all the time, and it's just it it, it just wasn't a big deal for me. And my name was about to be called, and I was sitting next to my best friend. Turns out he wasn't such a great friend. <laughs> but I was sitting next to my best friend, and he knew that I was about to be called up, and he started to try and psych me out. And he starts whispering things into my ear, like, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to fail, and you're going to... I mean, specific things that, that, that were going to happen to me, trying to psych me out. And I was just, you know, telling him, tell him to shut up and just like, you know, hey, just laughing it off, whatever. Well... Lo and behold, I get up in front of the class. And I'm telling you, everything, everything that he said happened. Every one of those things that he tried to psych me out about happened in front of the class. And it was an awful experience. And there was maybe 30, 40. In, in, in high school, talk about wanting to be perceived as strong. In, in high school, you're, you want to look good to people, right? I mean, it, it's very important uh, to, to be perceived as having your act together. And I lost control. And it was it was a crazy traumatic experience. And that experience um, opened a can of worms. Because all of a sudden, it, it that, that fear, that traumatic experience trickled into every area of my life involving anything, doing anything in public, doing, doing anything in front of people. Uh, I would dread going to class. I would dread going to school. But as a student, you've got to complete assignments. You've got to do things in front of other classmates. You have to make speeches. You, and I would just dread these things. And I, I would talk to my parents and say, hey, you got to help me here. You got to call these teachers and say that I can't do this assignment. It, it turned into a fear of taking tests and taking exams because it was in front of people. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely awful. But I got a hold of this passage and I read this passage and I thought, hmm, I've got a weakness. I've got a difficulty. I've been praying I know that God can work miracles. God, would you just please take this anxiety away, this, 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 this fear and this panic away from me? But I had to make a speech. I had to go to class. And I can remember quoting this passage and saying, God, I'm going to walk up in front of the class right now and do this speech. I don't know what's going to happen. Last time I lost control. It was terrible. But your word says that you are the strength of my weakness. So here we go. And I did that time and time and time again um, and God would come through it, it was it was amazing it was amazing and I've got to admit that was 25 over uh, 25 years ago longer than that and to this day I still have a bit of a handicap when it comes to being in front of you guys every Sunday when I get on stage and I'm about to play the keyboard and, and sing I, I pray a prayer and I say, God, I need your grace. I need your grace. But that's the amazing thing about God's grace, is that he can use your weaknesses. When you're weak, he can work in and through that and then use that in ways to serve the kingdom that you couldn't do on your own. So what's your weakness? What's your difficulty? What's your hardship? If you humble yourself, and, you, and say, God, I need you. I need your grace. He will show up in your life in a special way. And then number three, and this is just kind of a bonus, a bonus point. What, what can we learn from Paul? Learn to rely on God's grace constantly, not just situationally. It's evident from Paul's life when you study his writings and his life that he, just, he didn't just lean into God's grace when he needed it um, for certain situations. It, it, it wasn't like Paul said to God, Hey, I've got this weakness. I've got this thorn in the flesh. I could really use your grace here. But in every other area of my life, I'm good. I got it all under control. But, but this thorn, I need you. No, when you look at his life, that's not what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He understood that the reason why he was at where he was at, it wasn't just because God gave him grace in his weaknesses. It was because God gave him grace all the time for everything. The reason that any of us are here right now, it's because of God's grace. Do you agree with that this morning? You wouldn't be seated here if it wasn't for God's grace. This picture that Paul presents in 2 Corinthians, this picture of having a thorn, having a weakness, and seeing God become his strength in that weakness, that picture is a microcosm of how the entire Christian life should be lived. You know, when I think about maturity in Christ and growing in Christ, I think it's fascinating because... Maturing in Christ, that maturation process is very different from maturing in other areas of life. So for example, for example, um, when we grow physically, you, know, you think about a, a, an infant and a toddler, et cetera. When we grow physically, there's this upward trajectory. Uh, we, we become bigger and taller and stronger. Uh, that's how we grow physically. Uh, when we grow intellectually, uh, we, we start with very little knowledge, and then as we get uh, older and we grow, uh, we am, amass knowledge and, and intellect and hopefully, you know, some wisdom along the way, there's this this upward trajectory. The thing about maturing in Christ and growing in our walk with Christ, is very different. Uh, it's almost like a deconstruction process. And I'm sure you can relate. The more that we grow in Christ, the more that we realize we need him. The more that we grow in Christ, the more it's like a window to our soul is opened up, and we see more and more every month, every year, how depraved we are in and of ourselves, how sinful we are in and of ourselves, and how much we need Him. You know, I I've been serving Christ. I, I mentioned this since a long time ago, but I, I can think back into my uh, my twenties and. Um, I used to think I'm doing a pretty good job. I would compare myself to other, other people, and I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job here. I, I'm I thought I was a pretty moral person, and and looking back, I can see wow, I thought I was doing good. I thought I was serving the Lord, but my motives were so selfish and so twisted, so focused on on, on me and not glorifying God. Uh, The Bible says that even our righteousness, even our very best attempts at being good are are like filthy rags before God. Uh, We need his grace. If anything good comes from our lives, it's because of him in us. The, The hymn writer had it correct. I need thee every hour. There is a famous Minnesota politician if I said his name, you would recognize the name. He, he was quoted as saying that religion uh, in Christianity is, is a crutch. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, religion is a crutch. Christianity is a crutch. All right. I would disagree with that, but not for the reason that you would think. It's more than a crutch. For those who truly follow Christ, our faith is... Is not a crutch; it's a stretcher. We're more. We realize we're more that we're weaker than what people even think. We we need Jesus in our lives. The Bible says in James chapter one that every good and perfect gift comes from Him. All the good things in our lives, uh, it's it's because of grace. Now, do we work? Do we apply ourselves? Absolutely. But we do so with the grace. Uh, that God provides. We, we do so knowing that it's it's his provision. Uh, it's his gifts in our lives. I want to close with um, quoting the lyrics of, of this song. The, the, this is the second best song. I heard this years ago. This is the second best song on grace that I've ever heard. And I'm only going to say the second because the first is Amazing Grace. It's hard to top that one because Uh, That song has withstood the test of time, right? Uh, One of the greatest songs of all time. So I will say this is the second best lyric on grace that I've ever heard. The song is called Grace and Nothing More. And this is a testimony of my life, and I'm sure it is of of yours as well. And before I read it, just a verse and a chorus, uh, the metaphor that is being used here is that of a large ship with sails. Okay, so the lyric goes like this. I thought while on this voyage long, my strength God would increase. And at some point along the way, my struggling would cease. I fought with boldness, wind and wave, and yet the skirmish lost. Exhausted, all provision gone, the channel still uncrossed. As lifeless I, in stillness drift, just strength enough to pray, it's only then I feel the surge that speeds me on my way. And the chorus, by his own hand and faithfulness, he steers me toward a distant shore, and the wind that billows in the sail is grace and nothing more Yes, it's grace and nothing more. Let's stand, shall we? I'd like to invite uh, the prayer. T- I think we have some prayer team members here. We'd like to invite them forward at this time. And, and if you would, just um, maybe bow your heads and, and and close your eyes. And let's just reflect. Let's reflect for a few moments on what we've heard uh, this morning. Maybe one of these scenarios applies uh, to you. In fact, as I was preparing for this message, I got the picture in my mind that there'd be people here this morning who are under a great deal of stress and pressure. And maybe it's work, maybe it's parenting, maybe it's a relationship, but you've been running and running and you've been going and going. You're trying to solve problems and keep everything under control, but you're running on fumes and you're about to burst at the seams. And you're here and you're saying, God, I need your grace. Uh, If if that's the case, uh, after we pray and dismiss, I'd invite you to come forward and pray with one of our prayer team members. Or, Or this might be you. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online. And more generally, you're saying, God, I've been proud. I've been stubborn. I've tried to do things my own way. And I'm a Christian, but I've never really thought of this concept of just being reliant on, on you all the time. I, I need to repent and and lay my ego, my, my need to be strong all the time. I got to put that on the altar and receive your grace. So if that's you, I would... I, We'd love it if you uh, would come forward to receive prayer or even just spend some time after service reflecting in your in your seat, praying with the Lord. Or, or maybe you're here this morning watching online and you've never actually made that step of trusting Jesus with your salvation. You know, we've been talking this morning about sustaining grace and about empowering grace, but maybe you've never received the Lord's saving grace grace. And maybe you're saying this morning, I am a sinner. I've tried to be my own savior, but I realize that I'm never going to be able to to do this. Being a good person is not good enough. I'm a sinner. I'm depraved. My very best attempts at being righteous are failing, and I need Jesus to be my savior. If that's you, we'll have someone to pray uh, for you this morning. So let's pray together and then I'll dismiss and for those who'd like to stay, we're going to keep the sanctuary uh, open. We'll have some music playing. We'd love for you to stay, reflect, pray, come forward. If you need to, we'll have somebody to pray uh, with you. Let's pray together. God, it's so good to be with you, to be gathered uh, with your people and Lord our hearts are grateful this morning. Because we can say with the apostle Paul, by the grace of God, we are what we are. And Lord for those of us who are facing weaknesses, for those of us who thought of something very specific when we read about Paul's hardships and insults and persecutions and weaknesses, for those who are crying out and saying, God, I need your grace. Lord, would you, would you touch them this morning? Would they sense the comfort of the Spirit this morning? Would you provide for them what they need so that they can be strong and experience your grace in their weakness? God, we just want to take a moment and say uh, that we need you. Forgive us, Lord, for being self-reliant. Forgive us, Lord, for being stubborn and egotistical, uh, for thinking that we can fix every problem that comes our way. God, we need your grace. And we are a people who says, we need you every hour. thank you for your presence with us this morning, and uh, we pray, God, that you would bless us now as we go, meet with those who, who are seeking you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name.